in the hobby. It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking that we could pull, I don't know, Hall of Famer. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com. The only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. There is nothing more fun than opening an Arena Club slab pack. I mean, it is so much better than any mystery pack that I've ever purchased because there is a focus on transparency. There is a display of available cards. There are hit rates you can get. When you're graded, you're given a rationale. It is the marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, and displaying. Arena Club Slab Packs are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your pulls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. You can have them officially graded by Arena Club. The Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent, with a full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. Whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform you have to check out. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash badmoney. Wow, that's a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack, that's $40 right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash badmoney for 10% off your first purchase. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade, or at least grab an extra latte. After getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com goals24. That's Chime.com goals24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Hey everyone, this is Gabe. Just a heads up that the audio in this one is clipping a little. Uh, it's totally fine to listen to, but it's not the best uh, because my cord was broken. My cord is replaced and all is well. So please enjoy the episode. You got problems that you ought to be concerned with. Hoo-ah! You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast. Gabe S. Done. Hello and welcome to Bad With Money, a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you. I'm very excited. This week on the show, we have Manisha Thakur. Thank you so much for being here. Gabe, thank you so much for having me. So can you tell my listeners who you are and what you do? 
Absolutely. So I have worked in the financial services world for over 30 years. And I did my MBA at Harvard, my undergrad at Wellesley. I'm a CFA and CFP. So I've got all those different credentials. But my real passion is the emotional side of what goes on under our money. And I've just written a new book about it called Money Zen, The Secret Mm. to Finding You're Enough. Yeah. So one thing that really interested me about like looking at your stuff is the the idea of, and I talked about this a lot, the idea of like making yourself busy for no reason. And yeah. you called it like the busy badge. So can you explain a little bit of what that is? Sure. So one of the things uh, that I've noticed is, you know, when I was a, a kid and you'd hear your parents ask, you know, somebody who came over, you know, how are you? You know, the answer would be something about what they've been doing or something fun. And nowadays, when people ask us, how are we, we almost always answer with some version of busy or very Mm -hmm. busy or crazy busy. And Mm -hmm. uh, what's what I believe is happening is that we're putting a value on people's worth based on simply how busy they are without any questioning of what exactly it is that they're busy with. Mm -hmm. And then as humans, we're valuing ourselves based on keeping busy all the time, but we often don't slow down enough to ask, why are we doing this? And also because we don't slow down to let our minds marinate, we're not even getting the best results from all that busyness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a moral judgment, I find like, you know, the we've talked a lot on this show about or we've talked a few times about really wealthy people, and they don't want to be seen as wealthy. So they say, Oh, I'm so busy. But it's really just like they're joining a bunch of like nonprofit things or going, you know, they're making up stuff to do because they feel bad about not being so busy because they're wealthy, versus like also people who are sort of not wealthy who feel like, well, I have to be keeping myself so busy because otherwise people are going to be like, that's why you're not wealthy. So it like comes from both ends. Exactly. It's like a vice that no matter who you are, your head is crushed. You know, what's also interesting is that I've, I've been told this before by other people is that someone will say, how are you? And I'll be like, oh, I've been doing this, this and this. And like the other person that said this to me was like, I didn't say, what have you been up to? I said, yeah. how are you? Yeah. Oh, I love that. Like, how are you? We, we, that doesn't even come to mind. You're you're so right. I mean, our mind immediately translates how are you to what are you doing? And I think mm-hmm. that goes to something I like to refer to is we've become human doings, not human mm. beings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that question really speaks to to this shift. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, also like the sort of busy as an emotion, busy oh, yeah. as the response to what are you doing or how are you? Right. It's become a, a feeling, this kind mm-hmm. of pervasive energy running through your body. And I don't mean that in a good way. <laughs> Most importantly, I think it's really keeping us from not only enjoying each other, but from enjoying ourselves 
as mm-hmm. as humans. Yeah. Can you talk about, I mean, in terms of busy badge and we're going to get to the cult of never enough, but you know, we've talked a bit about this show on this show too, about like self-worth equaling net worth. So how do you, how do you get rid of that, that thinking? Like what would be someone's like first step? First of all, let me just say that for 30 years, I'm 53 now, I have optimized my life or or lived my life rather to optimize the equation self-worth equals net worth. And it is one of the most toxic mindsets that you can have. If for no other reason, then there's no finish line to that. You're always chasing after it. But more importantly, we are so much more than than the money that comes into our lives. And and I'm not saying money is important. If you have no money, that's going to create a problem. More money doesn't make you more of a person. And the feelings that that underlie that particular definition of your self-worth oftentimes stem from really painful things. I call them small t traumas. And so how do you get rid of a a, a belief of self-worth equals net worth? There's not a quick answer to that, Gabe. It requires a lot of self-reflection in a variety of different areas. And that's part of the reason why I embarked upon this this journey was I couldn't figure out how to get that equation out of my head and replace it with something healthier. And that's what made me realize I needed to dive into the research to understand why me and many other people struggle with, with that self-viewpoint. What would you call, qualify as like a small T trauma? So, you know, in my case, I'll give you a personal example. I am mixed race and I grew up mm-hmm. in a small, very white town in Indiana and had a funny name and I I was chubby and I had Coke bottle glasses and I didn't fit in with the other kids and kids could be really mean. And I mm-hmm. was very, very much ostracized. And I talk about it in more detail in, in, in the book, but... It happened for a three-year period, but it so seared my soul and my sense mm-hmm. of self that, honest to God, when I talked about it, it wasn't until I hit my early 40s that I could talk about the experience of being bullied in fourth, fifth, mm-hmm. and sixth grade without tears coming to my eyes. Now, right. it's not that I spent all day thinking about that. It was embedded in my self-conscious, and it drove me into this self-worth net worth because I wanted enough money that I could get out of any situation where I felt so rejected and so not seen and so uncomfortable. Right. That's like a, a script that you built for yourself in your mind. And, you know, this didn't end up being true, but it is the scene from the social network where he gets dumped and then he decides to make Facebook. Now, that's not that didn't happen in real life. But that was good storytelling. But yeah, I was thinking too about the the, the way that self-worth equals net worth. It goes into social services, like the way that we advocate politically is like, okay, these people aren't human. So if they don't have a high net worth, 
we literally don't care and they don't deserve. And like, whether it's conscious or subconscious, politically, it becomes they don't deserve healthcare. They don't deserve schools. They don't deserve, you know, these kinds of things. And then also I see it when I research very wealthy people because like we're talking about fake Zuckerberg, but like, for example, they, there's never enough, like you said, in the sense that they keep building and building and building. And you could say to them, hey, why don't you give some of that away? Hey, why don't you pay higher taxes? Hey, why don't you? And they can't, they really can't because they've got, become so married to this number that they need to be this number. And like, not to bag on her, but you kind of see this with Taylor Swift's like increasing need to become a billionaire. I think she's she hasn't really said that, but I think that like a lot of her behavior has lately led towards this theory that she's trying to become a billionaire. And I think it's a where you just completely lose perspective where you're like, this number means everything to me and I want to achieve this number. Not to say she doesn't do good stuff, but also then on the flip side, it creates problems where if somebody doesn't have enough money for a place to live, you sort of go, well, you know, that's their worth. Yes. And, you know, there's academic research that shows us one study I found fascinating actually took place with academics in India, and they created two fictional job applicants, a guy named Arjun. And in one of the resumes, they indicated a bunch of interests, experiences, hobbies that implied a very high net worth. And in the other resume, they depicted a career and life path that indicated coming from a much more humble background. Yet, Arjun's the same person, right? Same skill set. And so the Arjun who interviewed with people who saw one resume versus the same Arjun who interviewed with people who saw the other resume, when they asked, how do you perceive Arjun? The wealthy resume Arjun rated much higher than the Arjun that was not. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so it spirals into so many different areas of our lives and where people, how people treat people, people's opportunities to become gainfully employed, people's opportunities to get appropriate uh, social services. I mean, honestly, let, let's be frank. It's a sick way to look at a human being's worth. Right. I mean, it is interesting, like not to, again, get into the submersible, but this funny thing, it's this funny thing where some, you know, someone was like, oh, we should really care about these people that went in the submarine, which like, sure. But then it's like, wow, we really don't give a shit about anyone. <laughs> We're like not reporting on any poor people who have died. Like, no one cares. Yeah, all the immigrants that right. were, you know, drowning off the ship um, at right. the same time. It's just, it's like very clear, even in like media narratives, who is seen as a person. I mean, I consume a lot of true crime. If a wealthy white woman goes missing, everyone loses their minds. If some a black woman, uh, like a black sex worker or something goes missing, who cares? Like it's ve- we're very, even if you don't think you have a bias towards towards net worth, like you really do, especially with uh, something that I researched a bunch for my book, which is the prosperity gospel, which is basically the idea that God has touched you if you have money. And so that's why people think Donald Trump is special because 
evangelicals are like, God has chosen him. That's why he's rich. And so then it kind of becomes, okay, so God didn't choose this other person. Like God said, like, fuck you to the guy down the block. It's interesting. Well, and the great irony is we actually don't know if Donald Trump truly is rich because I know. You know his tax returns out aren't out there. But when you look at the lawsuits that are going on right. and the root of them, it leads one to really question, is he really right. that rich? Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math and see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Everything is more expensive these days when you're running a business, and you would be wise to find proven ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. The fact that you are able to reduce your IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud is incredible, and the ability to access your cloud financial system from anywhere saves you so much time and stress. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash badwithmoney, netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. NetSuite.com slash bad with money. Managing my finances is incredibly stressful and time consuming. I'm sure you guys know you've been with me on this journey. You know how many finance apps I've tried. You know how much they haven't worked for me. And I'm always on the hunt for a finance app that fits my life. And then I tried Monarch. It is so easy to use with powerful features, collaboration tools, intuitive design, personalization, constant product improvements. I really value an app that allows me to do all of this without confusion. And especially important to me is intuitive design and the ability to personalize because clearly finance is not one size fits all. Did you know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce? Monarch, the top rated personal finance app, also has built-in collaboration features so you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Together, you can see all your finances, collaborate on your budget, and get insights on your cash flow and recurring transactions. It's the easiest way to manage your household finances. Are you saving for a down payment, a wedding, a dream vacation? Monarch makes it so easy to help you reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Have you been frustrated with personal finance apps that are cluttered with ads, difficult to use, rarely updated? So was Monarch. They built a new kind of personal finance app that's intuitive and powerful and ad-free and constantly improving based on customer feedback. Experience a personal finance app that prioritizes the user experience above all else. Monarch is the top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. 
Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. Plus, there's ad-free privacy you can trust. We will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash badmoney for your extended 30-day free trial. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a new candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. It would be so much easier if I was looking for someone to help me with sweetening audio or let's say someone to run my merch shop or all the little things that go into running a podcast. Usually something like that would be so slow and overwhelming. And honestly, I wish I had used Indeed and I will use Indeed in the future. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash badwithmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash badwithmoney right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash bad with money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Jesus also didn't didn't have money. So I don't know. It's this very strange, like, yeah, it's this very strange thing where we've put so much behind wealth, like religion and social services, like all this stuff is tied to wealth, which is really, even if you fit, you're listening to this and you're like, I don't have those biases. Like we all do. Yeah. And the, I think part of the reason we do is because subtly our culture, when I say our culture, I'm, I'm increasingly speaking about our global culture. Consumerism has just created this cycle where certain things that you wear, certain possessions that you have, certain experiences that you do are external manifestations of how worthy you are as a human. That's what advertising tells us. That's what we're seeing in a lot of TV shows and movies. Those messages may be subliminal, but when you look at consumption patterns around the globe, it's very clear that it's good business. And I I say good in quotes. It increases revenues and profits. Let me say it that way. To have a society who feels they need to have external manifestations of their internal worth. Yeah. What do you mean by achieving less as a path to success? 
because I have an idea, but I'm just, I'm curious, especially because when you were talking about the resumes, I thought you were going to say that one had a resume that indicated that they had a lot of outside hobbies and that they were like a full, well-rounded person. And one, I would be curious to see this study. And one who had a resume that was like, I've worked at all of these companies and I've been working nonstop. And I wonder, I was thinking even for college applications, you know, like I'm, I'm wondering what people see differently in terms of like this person's achieving so much because they went from, you know, a big company to another big company to another big company versus the person who's like, I worked at this company and then I also did a bunch of nonprofit work and I also like got really into, I don't know why I keep thinking like butterfly studies, but whatever, you know what I mean? Something that's like, I got really into this other thing and people or like I fulfilled myself in a different way and people would say, oh, well, that person it doesn't is not like an achiever. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I want to respond to what you just said, and then I'll come back to achieve less because I feel like it. we've cycled through. So when I got out of business school, it was unheard of for people to just stay in a job for a year or two. I mean, that was a horrible blemish on your resume. And nowadays, I literally will, you know, see friends who are executives adding people to their team and they're like, oh my God, this person's been at the same job for 20 years. Obviously, they're not very driven, you know? Definition shifts, you know, with social and cultural times. What I'm talking about with the concept of achieve less is, I think, interesting. When I first said those words to several different people of different ages and professions, I got serious pushback. Like, what? You want me to achieve less? Like, that's an awful thing for you to be encouraging people to do. But my point is, if achieving more were the answer, we wouldn't have an epidemic of depression loneliness, I would argue, honestly, gun violence. I mean, I think there's, I think there's a lot of hate crimes. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that come because we are disconnected from each other's humanity. And part of that is because we're all wearing our busy badges, trying to do more, achieve more, be more. I think if you achieve you have a mindset of achieving less and living and connecting more, that does not mean you're not going to accomplish some delightful things in your life that please you and serve the broader community. It just means that you won't be running around crazy all the time. And Achieve Less has seasons. And so at certain seasons in your life, Achieve Less may simply mean you are in an intense period. You know, you're putting out another book, Gabe, and you you are doing a lot of uh, podcasts on other people's shows. And you just say, you know what? I need to take a couple days off and just not think about any of this. For other people, achieve less may mean I need to change careers, something dramatic. But achieve less terrifies people. And I think that behind fear, there's always something really 
interesting, something that, that, that you need to explore. Maybe even focusing or like achieving stuff that is more substantial rather than grabbing on to a million different achievements to try to fill things up. Even like it's making me think about quiet quitting in a way where it's like, yeah, you're at your job, you do your job, you want to hang out with your friends and have connections and you're not particularly concerned about getting promoted. Brilliant. I feel so strongly about this spreading ourselves too thin versus having quality over quantity. And one example that kind of struck me way back when I was a, a junior in college, I spent my junior year abroad at Oxford and I arrived like the ugly American. I had two huge Samsonite suitcases full of stuff, full of clothes. You know, I looked in the, the dorms as my British classmates were moving in and they came in with, you know, like one small suitcase and they would have like three pairs of pants, two sweaters, three shirts. And they were really high quality. They oftentimes had owned them for years. They looked great. They had a few quality things. I had a bunch of crap, reusable crap. And we live in a disposable society in terms of our interaction with a lot of products and physical things. And I, I worry we're doing that with our time as well. And time is our life's energy. That's what it is. That's interesting. Yeah. You mentioned a little bit in like your email that you were working with people who are in their 20s and 30s. And I was wondering, especially for women, and I was wondering why particularly that? I know you mentioned you're in your 50s, so maybe it comes from having gone through it or I don't know, but like why particularly that age? What I realized is if I could help somebody in their 20s or 30s establish good financial hygiene right out of the gate, I can prevent them from ever having to have a financial root canal when they're in their 50s or 60s. And there are certain basic steps around budgeting, debt management, and investing, particularly for retirement, that if you can nail even just those three buckets, add on to that. If I can help you understand when to buy a home versus rent, when you buy, how much is can you truly afford? Things like that. You can put yourself on a path to financial health that is so empowering. I certainly love to help women of any age get on track, but it's a lot harder. And the example I like to give is sunscreen. If you start using sunscreen in your 20s and 30s, you're not going to look any different than anybody else in their 20s and 30s that don't use sunscreen. Yeah. But the time you're my age, you can tell who used sunscreen and who didn't. <laughs> Importantly, the stuff you have to do if you want to try and fix the damage from not using that sunscreen is expensive and painful. And the same thing goes for not dealing with your personal finances starting in your 20s and 30s. So what would be like your number one thing to start with for each, let's say, budget, investing, and debt management? So what would be like the first 
step for each one of those for someone listening who's like in their 20s? Hands down, budgeting, live within your means. What does that mean? Elizabeth Warren back in 1991 wrote a book called All Your Worth and she was a bankrupt. Yeah, she was a bankrupt. She was a guest on this show. Oh, that's right. That's right. He came on Bad With Money, which was truly wild. She came up with this balanced spending formula, 50-30-20. And it basically says, if you're after tax money, no more than 50% on your needs, 30% on your wants, and make sure you're setting aside 20% for savings. When you're young, part of that will be building your emergency fund. Some of that may be savings for grad school, getting married, down payment on a home, and then the rest for retirement. If you live 50, 30, 20, right out of the gate, that's my number one piece of advice. Debt management, that's a four-letter word. We have become enamored of debt in this country. People say things like, mortgages are great because I get the, the mortgage interest deduction. Well, you have to itemize to get that and on your taxes. And you know what? The vast majority of people don't itemize. So, you know, we have these feelings, oh, it's a 0% credit card for six months. How can I go wrong with that? When you have debt, somebody else owns whatever it is that you have. Now, there are times when you have to go into debt. Who can buy a house outright? Who can pay for college outright these days? But the point is paying it off is another form of savings, another use for that 20% in Elizabeth's 50-30-20 rule because you're saving on the interest. So don't fall in love with debt. And on investing, my number one suggestion is that people don't worry about picking stocks and watching the market. Invest as early as you can. Use index funds. The simplest type are target date retirement funds, which will do the remixing of stocks, bonds, and cash according to your age throughout your life. Target date retirement funds? Correct. And the ones I like are the ones that are built with index funds, meaning, for instance, you might buy a target date fund, and they have numbers at the end of them that correspond to, in theory, when you'll be retiring. But what happens with the ones that are built on index funds is generally the stock part, you own a bit of every stock in America, sometimes every stock in the world, developed world. And same thing with bonds, you own, you know, pretty much a slice of everything. And so you're super diversified. And it's, like the chicken rotisserie, set it and forget it, you know, or the Instapot dinner, you, you put your money in the target date retirement fund and all you have to keep doing is contributing to it. You don't need to worry about what's going on in the market and buying and selling. So those are my three top in your 20s, in your 30s. Nail those three things, you're 80% of the way there. Hey guys, Gabe Dunn here. I just wanted to let you guys know that I have a Patreon at patreon.com slash Gabe S. Dunn. And on that Patreon, I'm going to start doing live hangs with everyone who is a patron. So if you want to join the Patreon, you can get all these episodes ad free. 
videos of our mailbag episodes, extra writing from me, blogs, fiction, other stuff, things that I'm thinking about with regards to money and personal stories. And also now live hangs with me on Zoom once a month. So join the Patreon. And if you're not a member of the Discord, hop on over to the Discord. That's free. The link will be in the description. It's so fun. So many of you guys talk over there. It's like truly popping off. Um, And if you're on the Discord, I would love to see you in the live hang so I get to put a face to a name. So yeah, please join patreon.com slash Gabe S. Dunn and come hang out with me. Shout out to Clarendon for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. You guys know that I have had allergies for forever. I've had seasonal allergies since I was a kid. It causes pressure in my face, under my eyes. They're my ultimate handbrake. When my nose is plugged up, I feel like I can't do anything. I can't enjoy food because I can't taste it. I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even host the show because my voice sounds like a duck. And listen... I am already dealing with vocal strain from testosterone and my voice dropping. I don't need any more problems with allergies. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I've been taking Claritin D for allergies like probably for the last 10 years or something, and it's been an absolute life changer. I can go outside without my eyes watering like a fountain. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped in my throat. I get really embarrassed when I'm sneezing all the time. I have like an itchy nose or throat, like ugh, like just the, the itchiness in the back of your sinuses is like so distracting and so annoying. And I get like pressure in my ears too. It's really painful. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. I love to track progress. As you guys know from listening to this show, I'm constantly tracking my progress. What have we done so far in 2024? And spring is in full bloom. Are your finances blooming too? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans like for a car or a home. You can use it everywhere Visa Credit Cards are accepted. That's right, you can build your credit using your own money. Get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. With a qualifying direct deposit, you can get access to your money sooner. Fee-free overdraft with SpotMe. Overdraft up to $200 without fees with SpotMe when you set up a qualified direct deposit. Just set up a qualifying direct deposit, sign up for SpotMe, and Chime will spot you up to your limit when you make a credit card purchase or cash withdrawal that exceeds your balance. Access 60,000 plus fee-free ATMs. That's more than the top three national banks combined. Easily find one near you with the Chime app. Send and receive money. Use Chime to pay anyone. Chime members or not and cash out your money fee-free. With Chime's secure credit card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started at Chime.com slash bad money. That's Chime.com slash bad money. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. You know, you mentioned people skipping around jobs. 
I'm wondering, there's like always on this show, this difference between freelancers and salaried people. And I'm wondering for, for something like the 30, 50, 30, 20, it's harder, I think, for people who are freelance versus people who are salaried. And then I think even nowadays, you go back and forth between freelance and salaried, or you jump to a new job, or like, and then you have a different income and all that kind of stuff. And one thing that I made the mistake of when I was younger is I got a job that had a higher salary and then I immediately moved somewhere bigger. And like that, I would say is a a mistake that I regret and would not do again. And so I think like, I think, is there something to kind of like, in order to do those things, kind of trying to at least stay consistent somehow? (laughs) Absolutely. You bring up such a good point, Gabe. And, you know, these days, the gig economy is huge, whether you have a side hustle or you're moving from corporate to gig. And the number one thing I say is if you are going to engage in any type of employment, whether it's for a company or it's on your own, you want to assess how stable you think your income is going to be. Now, if it's gig, likely not terribly stable in the early days, at least. And so what you want to do is live beneath your means so that you have a serious cash cushion. And one of the biggest mistakes I see on the gig side is you have a couple good months and then you start spending as if those good months are going to keep repeating. So I tell people in their early days, you know, to to spend at the level of your worst months, you know, and or take an average of your three worst months. And, and that's the level that you live on. And so when you have some better months, those months are the ones that can help you fund that 20% savings. 50, 30, 20 on a gig front can't always happen every month but it can happen over the cycle of a year. And then exactly as you mentioned, given that we shift jobs much more frequently in this day and age, be wary of upsizing your living until literally I tell people your student loans are paid off and your credit card debt is paid off. Don't upsize until you've done those two things. And And even then. And even then you might want to wait, you know? Yes. Yeah, I love in my building where I live, there's like an actor, a successful actor who lives in the building and he's lived here for probably like 20 years. And he's like, it's like a, a not a fancy building. And it's sort of like, yeah, why why would he move? Like he he's probably paying nothing and it doesn't super matter if he's at work. And like, you know, I think people, that's why I feel like when you see stuff like Justin Bieber has a 16 room mansion, I'm like, for who? <laughs> Who is these 16 friends sleeping over? Like, I don't, what is that for exactly? So I think that that's like, a, yeah, you know, that's an interesting thing that I wish I had known when I was a little bit younger. You know, there's a, uh, I saw it first on Instagram and it's also now on uh, Instagram reel and it's now on YouTube. It's a short little clip of people Google Jim Carrey and the word enough. He talks about how he's not going to make movies going forward unless some absolutely amazing script lands in his lap. And he says, you're not going to hear very many actors say this, but I have enough. And it's so powerful. I have enough. Yeah. I mean, that leads into sort of talking about 
the cult of never enough? And like, what would you qualify as someone who's a workaholic? To me, the definition between having positive work engagement and being a workaholic like I was on steroids is whether or not you can psychologically disconnect from work when you're not doing it on a routine basis. That's just how you are. You may be a parent and you may do work in the office and have a certain kind of job where you are an intense phase of your career track and you come home and then you go back and do some more work in the evening. But in that gap, you're totally present with yourself, with your family. Then that's very different than someone like me where I would have some days where, honest to God, I think the actual work I got done was probably about five hours. But I felt in my mind and physically I was in an office or desk environment for 12 that I couldn't disconnect from it. So that's the distinction. Yeah. So how does that translate into like the cult of of never enough? Like, how are we feeding that in each other? Because cults are very you know, everybody's sort of yes-anding everybody else. Yeah. So, you know, workaholism is definitely a huge gateway drug or, you know, into the cult of never enough. But the way I define the cult of never enough is if you've ever had this feeling that, you're not earning enough, you're not accomplishing enough, you know, no matter how much you earn, no matter how many accomplishments you achieve, no matter how much praise you receive, it's not enough. And I don't mean that from a greedy standpoint. What I mean that from is there's like a hole in you and it is not enough to fill your hole. And so what happens is you don't feel like you are enough. And so that's the cult of never enough that I am referring to. And it can be kind of confusing. So I actually created a seven question quiz at moneyzenquiz.com. It's kind of fun, light, but it, it gives people a sense of, you know, how far they might be in to that cult of never enough. Interesting. I mean, it does it does literally become a death cult. Like you hear about people who die at their desks or like, die, you know, like uh, we've done episodes about countries where work is important and you can't go home before your boss does or things like that. And and so people literally are like sleeping under their desks or sleeping at their desks, which is, you know, we have that stereotype about Wall Street here. But then I've heard from people who work on Wall Street that it's not that far off. Uh, no, it absolutely is not. But I want to emphasize it's it's. I've heard it in so many different contexts. So, for instance, I was speaking with a yoga instructor, and she was telling me. She identifies her self-worth, not with her net worth, but with the number of students in her class, the number of private lessons people ask her to give, and also the, the prestige. Does she have any big name clients? And 
you know, she says it's never enough, no matter how many students are in her class, you know, there could always be more. And I was talking to an academic who said, you know, in the, if in the academic world, when you're tenure track, you're expected to publish papers. And so, you know, he was saying, I feel like I can never put out enough papers. And then on top of that, you're judged not only on how many academic papers you put out, but how many times your papers are cited in other papers. So there are so many different ways that this can manifest itself in different professions. I love that a yoga teacher is stressed out about this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even though her job is yoga. Right. And, you know, she actually said to me something that I, that I put in the book. And she said to me, you know, Manisha, when was the last time you asked somebody to go to our beginning, how are you? What did you do today? And they said, you know what? I just baked a whole pan of brownies and sat on the sofa and watched a bunch of episodes of Shit's Creek. Like, no one says that to you, you know? So even in a Zen kind of environment, a mindful environment, there is still this competition, the social and cultural pressure to do more, to be more, to have more. And that's why achieve less is such a powerful antidote. It's so funny to think about because you're right. You see these like wellness coaches or like yoga people or Reiki people or people whose job it is to like de-stress others hustling and like trying to do their own stuff that is stressful to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Save a little more this month. Chime checking accounts have features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals 24. Banking services debit card provided by Bancorp, Bank NIA, or Stride Bank NIA, members of FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And, you know, there is also 
this, I think you're, if you are a wellness coach and your, your thing is, Hey, chill out, you're not going to make any more money as a wellness coach because then the person's, <laughs> they're done. They don't need you anymore. You know, the one thing I've noticed is that there is this intrinsic link between financial health and well-being. I, I call well-being emotional wealth. I call it that because you need to invest in your well-being. And I don't mean spending money. I mean, spending your precious time augmenting that. And then there it becomes a virtual cycle that I think can help people in all all industries. But when we're trapped in the do more, earn more, be more part of that equation, we don't have time to invest in the other part, which is the part that makes us human beings. So we're stuck in human doing land, not human being land. What were you talking to evolutionary biologists about in your book? Yeah. So, you know, ever evolutionary biologists discuss study why human beings do what they do. There are a variety of different examples, but the one I'll give, you know, right now is modern human life as we know it is what, maybe 250 years old, kind of prior to that, we lived off the land. What gave us confidence and helped us, you know, if you think of Maslow's hierarchy of the needs, what helped what helped us establish shelter, food, etc., was knowing how to live off the land and provide for ourselves. Well, what? how do we do that today? If you dump any one of us in the woods for a week, we're likely not to do very well. And so how we provide for ourselves is through money. And so why can there be such an attachment to money? Be- because our we have a survival instinct and that is now our core tool to use. And it's gotten worse as we've grown apart from each other as communities. So whereas family used to be a core element in survival, intergenerational living, even family of choice, as that evaporates, you know, what tool are we left with for survival? That's so interesting. Yeah, I love thinking about things from like the idea that everything that's going on now is very modernist. We think that things happened so long ago, but they really, they really didn't. And I'm also, you know, it was also making me think of something that our child free, we had a child free wealth coach on, and she was saying that the hardest thing that she comes across with talking to people who don't have kids, because if you do have kids, you spend on the kids or, you, yeah, you're always constantly doing stuff for the kids. But she was saying that the people that have worked really hard their whole lives and now they have their money and they don't have kids, she said the difficult thing is asking them, so what do you want to spend it on? Like, what does make you happy? What, what is, you know, what would be enough value? Like, what would fulfill you? What, what would, you know, be something you would want to do? And a lot of those people don't have answers because work has just been the answer. Well, Gabe, you're talking to one of those people. You know, I mean, I'm divorced, I'm childless, and the reason for both are because I was obsessed with work and my career. And again, you know, when going back to earlier in our conversation, it's not because I wanted to like buy a bunch of fancy stuff. I'm not a fancy person. It's I, I didn't want to feel that way that I felt when I was ostracized as a kid. So now here I am 
53, I am solidly in financial health. I, I can do whatever I need to do. I don't have kids to spend money on. And that's part of what prompted me to write the book, this wake up call of like, holy cow. What will make me happy? What, what do I want to do? Exactly. And I'll tell you, as part of the process of doing the research and um, going through this, this journey of asking myself this question, it took two and a half years. But I, because I had financial health, I ultimately bought a 550-square-foot cabin built in 1915, no potable water, five feet off a lake in rural Maine, because my brother and sister-in-law met in college in Maine, and there they have the three cutest little munchkins, and they're two miles away from me. And so, you know, that's what I decided to spend on. So I live half the year in Portland, Oregon, and half the year here. And, you know, that's, but that was an evolution for me to figure out what am I going to spend my financial health on? Yeah, because if you don't, I mean, also for me, from a scarcity mindset that I come from growing up, it's like, I I don't know what, like, I, I, I'm very scared of spending. I don't know what to, to spend stuff on, or I end up sort of going with what other people think I should buy, which is how I ended up in this breakup situation surrounding a, a house. Yeah, it's it's not having a clear idea of what you would do once you stop going through what what you say uh, the hamster wheel like you know if you do get to a place like jim carrey says where you don't really know what is enough so you just keep going you're never get like and then what you die holding all your money like okay well and also it becomes an identity thing there is another instagram reel i saw with mike tyson that was so poignant because interesting he talks- yeah, yeah. Who who would think? So he he talks about how he's very emotionally cries in the clip, and he talks about how his whole life was about perfecting the art of war, and now it's over. And you know he's gray, and you know he's in his sixties, and he's saying, "And now who am I? I? I'm I'm trying I'm trying to learn the art of humbleness." But sometimes that old person wants to come out, but, you know, he's not there anymore. And who am I? So, you know, I think this is a pretty universal conundrum that we face when we put all of our eggs in that financial or work bucket or achievement bucket. Yeah. Yeah. Athletes say that a lot where they, once they're not able to perform, they don't know who they are, what to do. And I think even for people who are struggling, who are like, well, I'm going to have to keep working forever. And, you know, you're in some sort of hole or you're just like, you don't see an end in sight. I think still having some number that you can maybe be working towards is like a light at the end of an extremely dark tunnel. Also, the larger point that we're trying to make here is that if you're someone who does have financial health, but you still view people as being worthy or unworthy based on what they have, even subconsciously, detangling that is how we make larger change. Because you could even say, 
I mean, you could be the most woke person in the world and you still might have a thought walking past a tent city. What did they do to deserve? You know, like it's so deeply entrenched that I think, I think there is something to sitting with that discomfort and really detangling that in order to not just for yourself, if you have money, but also in terms of, of what you believe about what should happen in a larger society. Yeah, I mean, just a, a brief example. In Portland, we have at present a, a big homeless problem. And I do some volunteer work with a women's organization focused on what is happening to single moms and what is the trigger that pushes them into homelessness. And generally speaking, it's $700. It's that is the cash flow gap that ended up getting them evicted, that ended up meaning they lost their cars, so then they couldn't get to work. You know, when you when you look at somebody and you judge, you know, it could be somebody working three jobs and then COVID hit, everything shut down and wham. And so making those judgments, you are so right. Everyone, no matter what end of the spectrum we're on, as humans, we owe it to each other to really rethink how we value each other as human beings. Yeah, to all the billionaires who listen to this show. <laughs> Pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. Hey, but make sure they go to the right place. Whatever. I don't know, billionaires. Listen, I don't know why you listen to this other than to maybe you're open-minded. Minisha, where can people find you and your work? So you can find me, home base is moneyzen.com. All my socials are there, everything that I'm up to. And if you happen to be listening to this during 2023, you can also go to moneyzenbook.com, which has a lot more information about my new book, which is coming out on August the 8th. Thank you so much. Gabe, this has been a really fun conversation. <laughs> Bad With Money with Gabe Shane Dunn is a production of Noted Bisexual. Produced by Melissa D. Montz and Diamond M. Print Productions. Edited by Diane King. Post-production sound by Coco Lorenz. And music by Mike Kaplan, Zach Sherwin, and Jack Dolgen, as sung by Sam Barbera. Thank you. Love you. Bye. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.